welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello, you amazing human beings, and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. We are back with episode 41 today, and I am excited to get into today's topics. I'm recording this from sunny Barcelona, so my vibe is very high today. I'm feeling good, and I'm ready to give you guys as much energy and wisdom as I can. So I was recently thinking about episode 50 that's coming up, and I was reflecting on all the listeners of this podcast, and although there's a large portion of you all that know who I am, there's also a large portion of you who don't, and I feel that sharing my knowledge and wisdom is is one thing. And of course, I always try to share my personal experience, but I want you guys to get to know me better. So for episode 50, our half century, I'll be doing a Who is Elliot Hassoun episode. I won't hold back. I'll aim to be as transparent as possible. And if you have any questions you'd like to ask, I'll likely post it on my IG story in a couple of weeks time and get as many questions from you all. So look out for that. I'm sure it'll be fun. But for now, you'll have to take my word for the fact that I'm a decent human being. I like to think so anyway. And on to the first topic of the day, and I'm going to put this into the nutrition segment. It does have a lifestyle mindset component, but we'll pop it into nutrition today. So Elliot, how do I know when I should stop dieting? And this is a great question as obviously the easy answer to this is when you've reached your goal. However, there are so many different considerations, nuances, and circumstances to consider, which I want to go through today. We'll get started with the obvious answer as for this, will, you know, it will be most appropriate. So with all the people I work with, we discuss their goals beforehand and we'll come to a conclusion on what their goals are. And once from, from there, we will determine what the game plan is. And as you will all know, if you've heard me talk about the reverse diet, nine out of 10 times, I would generally advise my clients to go beyond their goals, like by maybe like one or two kilos, if they've got weight loss, fat loss goals to ensure that they have a little bit of wiggle room during the reverse diet. And so that they finish the reverse diet at their desired weight versus finishing their fat loss phase at the desired weight. There's a big difference between the two. So this is of course the best case scenario, but something I recently discussed on Instagram and isn't spoken about enough is our relationship with dieting. So this was inspired by a client I was working with who recently wrapped up her fat loss phase. And she said things like, I'm looking forward to dieting in the future. I enjoyed the fat loss phase. And how many people do you really hear saying this? And this is so incredibly important. It's due to the nature of life, future holidays, etc. You're probably going to be dipping in and out of fat loss phases in the near future. And you'll want to transition into this effortlessly, versus absolutely dreading it. And unfortunately, that seems to be the case with the majority of people. And this was honestly myself too. In 2016, I competed twice. I started my diet in January 2016, did my first show in late April, and pretty much stayed in a mild deficit until the summer. And then I competed again in September, and I believe I reversed diet you know, up until maybe late October. So I was essentially in a deficit for the entirety of all those 10 months. And it wasn't just a deficit, like I was staging 
not beach lean as we've discussed before, I was stage lean. So I wasn't exhausted by dieting at this point, but I knew that my body would need some TLC and more importantly, some food and some body fat too, as a matter of fact. So there's a bit of a twist in the tail here. Even though I knew that my body needed this TLC, I went and worked for a company in 2017 where during the first part of the year, it was essentially expected that you did a photo shoot. And I didn't necessarily need to do this as early as I did, but I knew it would give me an opportunity to prove myself as I knew I had the capacity to get photo shoot ready and I would earn some stripes essentially. So after coming out of that diet around October, I was back in one by February. And once again, we're getting shoot lean, not beach lean. And I also only had six weeks to do it. My calories dropped to 850 at one point. And that's not per meal, that's per day. And I was doing as much expenditure as humanely possible alongside a full-time personal training job. Uh, it was not a fun time at all. But after this, not only was my body in dire need of recovery, so was my mind. The thought of dieting again was not even something I'd want to consider for a second. I decided that same year that it was unlikely that I was going to compete again and really had no idea when I would actually even go through a diet again. It wasn't until May 2019 until I dieted after this and that was a solid two, two and a half years later. For the rest of 2017, I didn't even think about dieting and the same goes for 2018 too as a matter of fact. It was only once 2019 came around I started thinking it might be a nice idea again as I'd committed to you know quite a focused muscle building phase for a good period of time. I came back around to the idea, probably because I love training and nutrition, to be completely honest. Like I'm a fitness professional. I do love a physical challenge, but I dread to think if someone leaves a fat loss phase, having not enjoyed it at all and feeling terrible towards the end, whether they'd even consider doing it again. And coming back to the first point I made, you'll probably need slash want to diet again. And the lady I worked with was a beautiful example of how we can maintain our relationship with dieting and food. We could have pushed further. We definitely could have banked a couple of extra kilos. However, we have to ask the question for the long-term nature of her health and fitness journey, would it have been worth it? This is totally individual dependent, but it's definitely something you would want to consider. So now I'm going to go through the five red flags that may highlight that you need to call your fat loss phase a day or consider a diet break. And I will discuss a diet break in the future, but it probably does require another segment. I have to start by saying there's going to be a lot of caveats and different things to consider. So try and approach this like with a bit of a neutral mindset as the first red flag I'm going to go into, it, it can be quite subjective. So this is not a one size fits all. If you see the red flag, apply it to your situation, see if it's relevant, ask a coach if you have one, but just open your mind to these and have them as considerations. So the first red flag is that you've been dieting for a long time. Elliot, what's defined as a long time? And this is exactly my point and why it's going to be individual. It really does depend on the individual and how much weight they have to lose. I'm going to try and give some ballpark estimations here just for some help, just for some helpful context. If you're aiming to lose less than 15 to 20 kilos, I'd say that anything beyond the year in this instance probably enters the territory of a long time. If you're looking to lose upwards of 20 kilos, maybe it's 20, 25, 30 or beyond, due to the amount of weight you need to drop, it could be appropriate that your fat loss phase lasts longer than a year and there's nothing wrong with this. You may 
want to consider some diet breaks here and there, but due to the amount of weight, it's probably the reality of the situation is that you are going to be dieting for longer uh, than a year. So let's say that you're a 75 kilo individual that wants to drop 15 kilos. If you drop 1% of body weight per week, that would be 20 weeks roughly. Let's give you some leeway and add an extra 10 to 16 weeks for when the weight is moving slowly or you weren't adherent, etc., which rounds up nicely to eight months. If you're still not within touching distance of your goal at this point, there's two things that you want to consider. Either you need to step up your game, start taking things seriously and really pursue your goal proactively and you know potentially not be as passive or non-adherent as you have been. Or you consider that you might not be ready to get to your goal yet. Sometimes actions do speak louder than words. And this is not me giving you an excuse to give up either, but there does sometimes come a point where you're at a crossroads in which you have to either look at yourself in the mirror and put your foot firmly on the gas, as I mentioned in the first point, and really get going and make sure that this happens, or you decide that maybe it's going to be better to call it a day now and revisit in the future. Just bank those wins and then come back to it. So that's something you want to consider, but you also want to read, you know, look at your levels of adherence too. If you have been on the journey for a year, but you can say confidently that you've only really been on point for the about six months of those, you've not really been on the journey for a year, you know, in terms of giving your absolute all. So there's a lot of considerations there, but take a step back, look at your journey honestly and answer the question. So on to the second red flag, which you want to consider is that your mental and or physical health is taking a hit. There is a period during a fat loss phase when you do have to embrace the suck a little bit. I do think this is positive in some ways as it can help build grit, mental strength, determination, you know, self-discipline, etc. But there is a point in which this can get taken a little too far. For example, if you're becoming depressed, anxious, always focusing on food, binge eating, etc. If you've still got a decent way to go in your journey and all you've been doing any of those things for a while now, it'll be worth assessing whether you should continue or not. I will say that if you go into a diet with a healthy mental state, you've done some decent self-healing, worked through previous traumas, etc., you'll have a better hold of this. But if you haven't done any of this work, it could be detrimental. The physical symptoms are a little easier to observe as we've discussed before, like loss of your menstrual cycle, becoming unwell all the time, your testosterone is tanked, your blood work isn't looking good, etc. Some of these physical symptoms may stem from other places that aren't the diet, but putting yourself back into a well-fed state may alleviate or even eliminate those challenges that you're having. So it's definitely worth considering. On to the next red flag. You're irritable all the time, negative about your journey, and generally just not a fun person to be around. And I hate to admit it, but during my prep of 2016, unfortunately, I was this guy. I didn't have anything close to the self-awareness that I have today. I probably didn't even know what the term self-awareness was five years ago. But towards the back end of my competition prep, I was irritable and I wasn't fun to be around either. I wasn't negative about the journey per se, as I was excited about the prospect of competing for the first time, but it did suck the life out of me. I was snappy to those closest to me. I wasn't very talkative or sociable. And I look back on that period as something that I learned a lot from. And I just never want to be that person again. And I'm probably exaggerating to a degree, but I know what the highest version of myself looks like. And I wasn't acting in accordance or even close to that. So if you're grumpy all the time, you're not fun to be around. First of all, 
look yourself in the mirror and have a word with yourself. Self-awareness is key. You signed yourself up for this. You're the one that got themselves out of shape and shouldn't have to put others through the experience of being an annoying human being. If my clients tell me that they're snapping at their partners or something, I'm always very direct and say exactly this to them. Your loved ones don't deserve that. It's on you to regulate your emotions. And if you really feel it's not possible and you're not yet close to your goal, it's time to consider potentially a diet break or finishing that fat loss phase or even just doing a lot more self-work, a lot of self-reflective work so that you can regulate your emotions a little bit better. On to the fourth red flag. Other areas of your life are starting to be compromised. Your work, your family life, your friendships, your relationships. As we discussed before, for a certain period of time, whilst you do pursue your goals, it's okay to sacrifice your time and your energy for the sake of your journey. And it might even be necessary too. Maybe you do have to skip a social to fit your training session in. Maybe you can't stay late in the office because you need to get your eight hours of sleep. These are totally fine and it all comes down to your priorities and current goals. However, if you are at a point which you can't perform at work, then we might need to reconsider. If you aren't spending any time whatsoever with your friends because you're fearful of socializing and not being in control of your nutrition, once again, this is something we have to closely look at. As discussed earlier, this is very much based on the individual and I don't want people to overlook that a temporary sacrifice does need to happen on most occasions as I've already mentioned before, I really do think this can be valuable, but we've got to be mindful of when we've crossed the line. For example, if it's your partner being grumpy about you eating different food to them, in my eyes, this would be more about them than you in this situation. So this one is a little harder to be definitive on, but definitely something we want to consider. Okay, on to the fifth and final. You've lost an awesome amount of weight, but you've still got a long way to go. This one is really challenging. I wouldn't categorize the lady I was speaking about earlier in this example at all. For me, this would be the 115 kilo person who drops 30 kilos, but realistically has another 15 to go until they're really happy with their body composition and weight. It's tough because they put an immense amount of work in, but the reality is that sometimes rather than pushing through, the more optimal approach will be going for a reverse diet, getting your metabolism back into a good place, perhaps putting on some muscle and then going for round two. In these instances, they'll either see some of the earlier red flags or they'll see that their one to 2% drop on the scale starts to become like 0.1 kilos or 0.2 kilos and the rate of loss just slows down massively. And this comes back to the quote I always fall back on. Sometimes you need to live to diet another day. So those are the five red flags you'll want to look out for. And in no particular order, we have you have been dieting for a long time. Remember, this is very subjective. Objective, you do have to consider your adherence levels and your circumstances. Two, your mental or physical health has taken a hit. Number three, you're not a fun human to be around. Don't be that person, guys. Trust me. Four, your work, relationships, and friendships are becoming compromised. And finally, you've dropped a solid amount of weight, but you still have a long way to go. So I hope that was helpful. And of course, if you have a coach, have a conversation with them first, as there's a good chance they've experienced some of the things you're going through. And based on what you're telling them, they may be able to guide you on whether pushing through or banking your wins is the right option for you at this time. All right, that wraps up question numero uno and on to the next, which is, Elliot, what is tempo? If you're a client of mine, you're probably already tired of me talking about this, but it's quite often one of the first questions that I receive when I work with someone once they look at their workout program. My usual response and the way that I've actually simplified this is tempo is essentially the speed of the exercise and the individual numbers described seconds that the different portions of the movement should take. Traditionally, this starts
starts at the eccentric phase, which is the lowering phase of the movement or when the muscles are in their lengthened range. Think of squatting to the bottom position, bringing the bar to your chest on the bench press or letting the arms hang straight out um, during the top of the lat pull down. For the most part, this is always gonna be the highest number you're gonna see in a tempo and therefore the longest and most controlled part of the movement. You may even find yourself on a program that is based around improving the eccentric phase. And according to a study published by the Frontiers of Physiology, they concluded that a large body of evidence suggests that compared to concentric contractions, chronically performed eccentric contractions promote greater gains in strength, muscle mass, and neural adaptations. And there's also quite a few other benefits, which are reduced risk of injury, improvement in power output, greater movement efficiency, and improved mobility. An example of eccentric training would be to perform negatives, which you may have done before, and you'll simply be focusing on the lowering slash eccentric portion of the movement. You'll stop at the bottom and then you'll rest. I usually program these in the form of like press-ups or pull-ups, but they can be effectively done in squats or bench press where you use the pins on the rack and then you let it go. But you know, it's just a pain to do these when you're training on your own. Uh, but the benefit of this is that you can handle a significantly heavier load if you're not performing the concentric portion of the movement. I have no idea what I could do, but I reckon considering I can squat around 150 to 160 kilos, I think that I could probably put 180 or maybe even 190 on the bar just for the eccentric. Maybe that's quite ambitious, but you can lift significantly heavier when you're only focusing on the, the eccentric. But I digress. This is probably the portion of the movement that most of us neglect. Either we let gravity take over, we let the weight pull us around, or we rush it because it's painful. I can't tell you how much more you'll get out of your training if you can focus on the eccentric phase. If you can decelerate and control that downwards portion of the movement, your level of control and genuine strength in the movement will be exponentially better. You may find certain sports where eccentric phase isn't that important during competition, you know, powerlifting, Olympic lifting, even strongman. However, I guarantee eccentric work is a large component in their training. For example, I'm on a powerlifting program at the moment, and in a couple of weeks' time, I have an eight-second eccentric. Yes, guys, an eight-second eccentric. You can start praying for me now, but I know how much of a carryover that's going to have into the lifts when I go back to like a regular tempo when I'm just looking to go up and down. It's going to have massive returns on my investment. And I heard a nice analogy once. Unfortunately, this wasn't one of mine, but I'm going to share it anyway. And they said the eccentric should be looked at the same way in which you would reverse park your car you ease into the spot with precision. You don't just fly into it. And if you did, you'd put yourself at a much higher risk of damaging your car. And the same can be said for your exercise and the eccentric portion in general. So the second number on the tempo indicates whether there's a pause once you've completed the lowering portion. So think of this at the very bottom of the squat. Think of this as having the bar close to your chest on a bench press. It's quite often that you will find pauses here and I'll tell you why for the most part. So the first is to match the resistance profile. But when we look at the resistance profile for a squat, let's say, this has a lengthened overload resistance profile, which simply means when the muscles are in their lengthened position, this is where it gets the hardest. It's easiest in the shortest position on a movement like this, which is when you'd be standing with the weight on your back. However, if we look at an exercise like an lateral raise, for an example, this isn't the case whatsoever. When the muscles are lengthened, your arms are by your side. And it's only when we go into the shortened position, when we raise our arms up to the top and they're fully extended and the delts are of course contracted, this is when the movement is harder. So this has a shortened overload resistance profile. And to wrap up the 
three most basic resistance profiles that you'll find, a good example of this would be the standing bicep curl. It actually gets hardest in the mid-range. So at the very bottom in the length of position, it's not too hard. You can hold dumbbells quite comfortably. But as you reach the middle, this is when it gets the hardest. And then when you get past the mid-range into the shortened position, when your biceps come, when you come up to the very top of that movement, it actually gets slightly easier again. So to challenge these movements throughout their entire range, you'll see people add bands, chains, pauses, etc. And onto the second aspect is that most people will use momentum and inertia to cheat their way out of the movements. You've seen people bounce out of a squat. You've seen them bounce the bar off their chests. It might even be you. So by placing a pause, it firstly ensures that your eccentric portion is more controlled. Think about the reverse parking analogy. If you're going to need to stop the car, you're not going to fly into that parking space. You'll ease in. And the pause almost forces you to control your way out of the bottom position. As if you come to a complete standstill, you'll be in a much more controlled position to then actually get out in a bit more of a sensible manner versus using inertia and momentum. So on to the next, which is the concentric phase. This is the one I'd say potentially the easiest for people to get their head around, but also the easiest to be passive with as well. This is the upwards phase of the movement. Think of curling up with a bicep curl, pressing the bar away from your chest in a bench press. Unless you're using an advanced technique, this number is usually going to be no more than one to two set, one to two, which is just going to indicate one to two seconds, which is quite a natural speed. It can still be rushed, but it's, you know, it's actually easier to execute than the eccentric usually. The concentric phase is all about shortening the muscle and actually generating the force to move the desired like object or weight. It's essentially setting you up for an optimal contraction, which is why it's super important to get it right. The challenge that most of us are going to have here is it's quite easy to cheat a concentric. You may use momentum from cheating your way out of the lengthened position. You may use brute force versus thinking about the muscle group you're actually using. Like, let's take the leg extension as an example. Have you ever gone through the movement and actually found that the pad leaves your legs as you kick up the weight to the top? It's quite likely that you were just using as much force as you can generate without thinking about the optimal way to move the weight. In reality, that pad should never leave your legs. So let's go through how you would optimally perform a leg extension. You'd set up the seat and the shin slash ankle pad, whatever you want to call it, so it's an appropriate position. You'd grip onto the handles and almost pull yourself into the seat for increased stability. And then you'd push the very bottom of your leg, your ankle into the pad without the pad moving whilst maintaining that stability, and then extend at the knee for the amount of time allotted smoothly throughout the range of motion. The speed should not change. The pad should not leave your legs. You should arrive at the top seated in the same position that you started at the bottom, which leads us on to the final portion when we're at that top position of the leg extension, when our muscles are shortened, which is the final number on our tempo. So just to take a quick step back here, if we're looking at the second number or the fourth number, if it is zero, this indicates that there is no pause within that movement. You still want to take a half a second to establish control, especially if it was like a sloppy rep, but you don't want to actually pause unless you see a one or a two. It's unlikely that you're going to see a three or above unless you're doing something more specialized, but that's the only time in which you'll do an exaggerated pause. In situations like a squat or a lateral raises where the movement is actually easiest here, you're not going to see many pauses. However, for a movement like a leg extension, a leg curl, or maybe a seated cable row, there's a good chance you will. And this is the point in which you're going to be contracting that desired muscle group. There's a big difference between pulling that bar towards you in a seated cable row and just kind of just bringing your elbows back versus squeezing those elbows in towards each other, driving the lats in towards each other and squeezing as hard as you can at the top of the movement. 
movement. This is one of the biggest mistakes I see beginners make. And an easy example that you can do with me right now is take your finger, place it between your elbow and do a bicep curl. All right, do it with me now. And now I want you to do the same thing, but really pull the middle of your forearm towards the middle of your bicep as hard as you can and squeeze really, really hard. And there will be a pretty enormous difference, right? Imagine the difference between these two movements done with six sets of bicep curls that you do every single week. You do three sets of bicep curls in one workout and three in another. Imagine those six sets done 44 weeks at the time you train in a year. Maybe you don't train all 52 weeks, maybe just train 44. That's 264 sets. That's 3,168 reps. Imagine doing roughly 3,000 of them the way you did it the first time versus contracting with intention. I'm not going to say anymore. Simply by placing a pause in this phase of the movement, it almost creates a bit of a reminder to really contract properly and not rush out of the movement. The leg curl and extension are a really great example of this. So some people will tell me that they can't actually feel the leg curl when they're doing it. And if that's you, there's a good chance that you're not doing it right. Most of us will just lift our legs into the top position, not really contract in the shortened position, and then allow gravity to just pull us back down. Whereas if we pushed our hips into the pad, we held tightly onto the bench, kept our hips locked down as we brought the weight up, squeezed as hard as we can, like we would in that bicep curl example, slowly ease back down for three seconds, nine out of 10 people would feel this 10 times more. The other one out of 10 will probably feel it the next day. So with your leg extension, it's a little bit different. Most people feel this and they think that's enough as it's painful, right? And the last thing you wanna do here is actually make it more painful, but you could be getting so much more out of this movement by doing what I mentioned earlier and really contracting hard at the top and controlling the remainder of the movement. The way I see it is that if you're already in pain, a little bit more pain isn't going to do much damage. You may as well make it worth it. So to summarize, tempo is essentially the speed of the exercise and the individual numbers describe the seconds that the different portions of the movement should take. Count the seconds slowly as you're likely to go faster than you should. No matter the numbers, control throughout the entire movement will always be essential. And the final point, which I've not mentioned throughout, is that when the weight gets heavier, maintaining the tempo will actually be harder. So always check in with yourself from time to time. It's not that once you get this down, it will stay with you forever. Like you need to be conscious of this throughout your entire training journey. It can change when the weight changes. It can change as the exercise changes. It can change as the set progresses. So stay conscious and intentional. On to the final question of the day, which is our mindset and lifestyle question, which is, Elliot, how do I overcome my vices, my bad habits, my distractions, etc., that keep me getting from where I want to be? So this is a really great question as I feel that everyone has to face some form of this. And honestly, even just being aware of your vices and wanting to do something about this is a massive step. For example, I've discussed before that some people will be highly unaware of their the hold of maybe like alcohol has over them or takeaways and certain foods until they start a journey like this. And all of a sudden, that glass of wine that they thought was just an optional and nice way to finish the week isn't that at all. It's an addiction. It's a coping mechanism. The takeaway was less about the convenience and it was actually a self-soothing technique
after a stressful week. It's easy to push these aside and not acknowledge them for what they truly are. I heard a quote from Chris Williamson recently who said, alcohol is the only drug where if you don't do it, people assume you have a problem, which encapsulates the notion of how unaware people are of these vices and the bigger pull they have in your life than you expect. And I want to go deep, but not too deep if that is possible for someone like myself. But I do want to go to the root first and talk about what really needs to be dealt with. And I want to give you some actionable strategies that will help you deal with the problem right now. I think a two-pronged approach is the best way to handle something like this, as if you go for the root without the actionable strategies, it just makes things harder to deal with in the now. If you go directly to what's happening in the moment, you miss out on handling the deeper causes, the vices, habits, distractions, or whatever you want to call them, they all have a chance of returning. So let's get into it. And I feel the best approach is to start from the surface and dig deeper. So let's look at the vice. Is there any correlation in when this is happening or why this is happening? Is it happening on a certain day of the week? Is it happening at a certain time of the day? Does it happen only when you're alone? Does it happen when you're around certain people? Does it happen in certain situations, conflicts, high bouts of stress, etc.? There will always be correlations and ultimately we're just looking for the trigger that usually sends you down this path. Then you have to get curious about why. Why is it this vice that I'm choosing? Why is this my response to a certain situation? Why is it this time of day or this day of the week? Let's use alcohol as an example. Why is it alcohol? Well, I saw my parents drinking regularly when I was growing up and they seemed to drink when they were happy, sad, etc. Why is this my response to this certain situation? Well, you know, I was stressed and I guess underneath stress, I feel sad and alone and given how much my parents drank during stressful times, I have done the same. But why is it the evening? Well, this is the only time I get to myself. This is when my mind is the most empty. So I'm inundated with all of the things that I've been able to push to the side during my busy work day. Now the next step, what would happen if I didn't lean into this vice? What would happen if I removed this from my life? Would I be able to? This will give you a good idea of the severity of where you're at and how much control this genuinely has over you. Information is powerful. Before this was an unconscious act and now you have all the data to understand where it's coming from and go on to the next step, which is sitting with this feeling. I've prescribed the five minute rule to a lot of my clients recently. You can do this for 10, but I feel like five is a good place to start. When you get an urge, these temptations, these feelings, stop and pause. You're not saying that you're not allowed to act on this. You're also not saying that you are. You're simply stopping and pausing for five minutes and you're going to sit with this feeling. You're going to set a timer. You're not touching your phone. You're not going to the bathroom. You're not answering any emails. You're literally sat down, maybe looking at a blank wall for five minutes and you're going to sit with this feeling. And this is where curiosity comes in again. And with all that information that you've now gained, you start asking questions. Do I really want this drink? Do I really want to eat this food right now? What's the real reason behind me feeling this way? Am I bored, lonely, sad? Why am I bored? Is my work not stimulating me anymore? Deep down, you'll know these answers. You'll say something like, yes, I am bored. I don't like this part of my job. And right now it feels like I'm just working for the paycheck. Then you dig deeper and deeper. Why am I working for a paycheck? What type of work would make me happy? What steps can I move to? What steps can I make that moves me towards making my day a little bit more pleasant and work towards what I truly want to do. Even if it's the tiniest step, what can I do? You can work this out in your head, you can write this down, but when it comes to the end of those five to 10 minutes, it will be much more clear about your emotions and your feelings and the desire you will have will usually minimize a little bit. And then you can ask yourself, 
If I didn't do what I'm tempted to do now, what could I do instead? What would serve me now and later? Do I call it a day and aim to go to bed early and work more tomorrow? Can I take a break and go for a walk? Can I call a friend who puts me in a good mood or put on a song that helps me raise my vibe? This will be an ongoing practice. Your habits are deeply rooted. Your conditioning will take a long time to change. Your brain has become wired in a certain way. Those patterns and habits are safe, even if they don't serve you and you are so aware of them. This will be lifelong work. However, it will get easier each time as you know a lot of the answers to these questions. It's like believing in Santa. And if you're below the age of 10 right now and listening, please just stop for 20 seconds. But once someone disproves this, you don't continue believing. So once there's evidence to challenge your existing habits and vices, you have the ability to change. It will just take time and persistence. And now I want to move on to some actionable strategies on how you can overcome these. So first, a lot of this is going to be based on the answers you have to your own questions. But let's take alcohol as an example. If you're finding that every Friday night when you're on your own you go for that bottle try signing up for a sports club or maybe even like a social club like a book club hopefully they don't meet in a bar but do that when it's friday night so you actually have something that takes you away from your home environment if you find it specific foods that you go for remove them from your home and if you can't remove them from your home remove yourself from your home if you sense those urges coming next is prioritizing your self-care i find that these vices will come up when we reach breaking point if you're prioritizing looking after yourself, it'll take longer to get you to the edge of breaking point and therefore resulting in less severity and frequency of these even coming up. And adding on to this, implementing stress management techniques that work for you is going to be super helpful. It doesn't matter what they are as long as they are something that helps you reduce your stress. Next, face the dragon. If your vice is distracting you from having that conversation with your boss, your colleague, your friend, your partner, write down exactly what you need to say to them on paper and arrange a time with them to discuss this. It might be the most painful thing in the world, but I can tell you from firsthand experience, telling the truth as early as possible, even when it's harder in the short term, is always the way to go. The longer you don't, the messier things become and the harder these things are to say. If you need to work out things logistically, start working on your resume, assess your finances to see if you can take the time off work, look for a new place to live if you are ending things with a spouse or partner. Knowing you're making steps towards something that's for the best will always help. Finally, if you give in, learn from it dust yourself up and get going again. You might want to dwell and feel sorry for yourself. And I'll give you an hour in which you can do that. But after, you need to brush yourself off and get going again. And that is where I want to finish off today. So that wraps up a jam-packed episode. I hope you all enjoyed it and took plenty away. If you've made it this far, I appreciate you. Let me know what part of the episode you like the most by tagging me on Instagram. I'm looking forward to hearing from all of you. And thank you so much for everyone who has done it already and who continues to listen to this podcast. I really am grateful. Thank you so much for listening team. Take care and we'll speak soon. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.